That does, tangled in a ball of yarn, you can't go much further than the later Frost. By the time John F. Kennedy invited him to read at the 1961 inaugural, Frost was more a monument than half the equestrian statues in Washington, a brass-necked, cold calculation standing proudly on all fours. Has any major poet written a worse poem about America than The Gift Outright? It contains every part of Frost's terrible sentiment for the land, America, the past, for ourselves, for the general myth that replaces the mangled event, even the best line, to the land vaguely realizing westward, drowns in the horror of all that is left unsaid. When home burial and the death of the hired man can sit comfortably in high school anthologies, no longer cruel rural dramas, but complacent period pieces. Perhaps it is time for a different frost, one not so easily lost to high-mindedness. There is need for a frost less dramatic and more demonic, a frost of impermanent mood, whose own mood seemed a confusion to him, hence his reliance on, his attraction to, codes of behavior, morals, blind jurisprudence, the otherworldly forces that might set the world in order, or strip it to raw design. Gerald wanted people to read Frost, to suffer from his range and his terrors, and what is permanent in Frost now includes many of the poems Gerald salvaged from neglect. The Witch of Coas, Neither Out Far Nor In Deep, Home Burial, Acquainted with the Night, Design, Provide, Provide, an old man's winter night, and desert places. Even after apple-picking and the gift outright, poems I can't imagine anyone liking, I must admit my taste is different from Gerald's. I don't like directive. I don't think provide, provide, an immortal masterpiece, though I like it well enough, and I despise the gift outright. Every reader should have a list of the Frost poems he can't stand. If Gerald's Frost was the frost of interior and melancholy, of moral observation and metallic cunning, he was also the frost whose monologues and scenes tended toward sentiment, a poet a lot like Gerald, in other words. I would like to propose what might seem impossible after Gerald, a list of a dozen or so of Frost's best poems rarely seen in anthologies and likely to be new to most listeners. Here is the list. The Code, A Hundred Collars, The Bearer of Evil Tidings, Snow, Place for a Third, The Exposed Nest, The Fear, Spring Pools, The Thatch, Sand Dunes, The Strong Are Saying Nothing, The Draft Horse, The Silken Tent, and Willful Homing. This is a list of moral ambiguity and suspended grief, of stark horror and shy confusion. If Frost was a confusion to himself, we should, part of the time, be as confused and surprised by the Frost we read. The Code starts with three men haying a field under an advancing thundercloud. There were three in the meadow by the brook, gathering up windrows, piling cocks of hay, with an eye always lifted toward the west, where in a regular sun-bordered cloud, darkly advanced with a perpetual dagger flickering across its bosom. Suddenly, one helper, 
thrusting pitchfork in the ground, marched himself off the field and home. One stayed. The town-bred farmer failed to understand. The farmhand's mysterious act is abrupt as a scrawl of lightning, and the rest of the poem sets out to explain it. Silence has the force of speech in frost, but this is one of the few places where silence is interpreted. The opening lines might seem just an excuse for a story. The story the remaining farmhand goes on to tell about another haying, another farmer who offended the code, in a more straightforward mood, even a rambling storyteller like Frost generally got on with things. The prologue could have been dispensed with, but the action is not just about the code, it is in code. A tale is required to explain the tale. The poem's lovely, lopsided organization is rougher and more accidental than in Frost's conservative dramas. The reader almost requires...